Welcome to the podcast of Selmore Baptist Church in Ozark, Missouri. To learn more about our church, please visit selmorebaptist.com. And now, here's the sermon. All right, if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to be looking at chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. Well, congratulations. You've made it to the last sermon of this series in Ecclesiastes. Some of you may be a little bit happy about that. (laughs) Some of you are kind of ready to be done with this book. Ecclesiastes is a very heavy book. I will grant you that. It is very real, bordering at times on cynical And there may have been times during this series that you left church thinking, that was just depressing. That left me feeling low, not encouraged or lifted up. But here's what I'd say to you. There's a purpose in it. The Holy Spirit inspired this book to be written for a reason. And so we need to hear what it says. It's good for us to take stock of our life and to come to terms with our mortality even if it's not always our favorite thing to do. Furthermore, it is important that we preach the whole counsel of God, as the Apostle Paul says in Acts chapter 20, which means that every book, every chapter, every verse of Scripture is worthy of our time, and it's worthy of our study. And if we do that, we'll get a well-rounded spiritual diet of all that God has for us in his word. So with that being said, we are going to move on to some other things after this week, and I just want to give you a little quick preview. First of all, next Sunday, we're going to do a sermon on the topic of missions using the Lottie Moon Christmas offering theme, which is a great multitude and you. That's a reference to Revelation chapter 7, a great multitude around the throne of God in heaven. So that's what we'll be talking about next week on December 27th. Um, I have asked Ben James to come and bring the message. Uh, You know, a couple weeks ago, we talked about some of the men that God has called out to ministry from our church. And Ben is one of those, and we're very proud of him. He's in Indianapolis, he and Brenton, and Esther. And uh, he is serving as a pastoral intern at a church there and finishing up seminary, and will be home next weekend with his family. And so he's going to be preaching to us. uh, It's actually December 27th, two Sundays from now. And then beginning the first Sunday of the new year, we're going to begin a new series in the book of Hebrews. We're going to go all the way through the book of Hebrews. I think that's going to take us the better part of a year. But the theme of that series will be Jesus is better. He's better than anything. And so that's what we're going to be talking about next year. So that's a little bit of a preview for you. But today, we're going to finish this book with what Solomon calls the conclusion of the matter. Solomon said much to us over these last 12 chapters about the vanity of life, the foolishness of the things that we often choose to pursue, the folly of going after pleasure rather than glorifying God. In this book, Solomon is an old man looking back over his life and saying to us, I wish I would have done things differently. Don't make the same mistakes that I made. And in today's passage, Solomon's going to boil all of it down and summarize the entire book, everything that he said to this point, in two succinct statements. And after that, he then concludes the book 
with a word of warning. And so that's what we're going to look at today. Let's begin by reading Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13. Here's what Solomon says. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. Now, essentially Solomon's saying this. I was the king of Israel. I had everything that any man could ever want. I had wealth. I had women. I had the worship of my fellow man. Anything I laid my eyes on that I wanted was mine. There was nothing that I lacked. And in the end, I found it all to be vanity. It was all futile. It was pointless. It was fleeting. And so Solomon would say to us, do you want to know what's really important in life? Do you want to know the secret to joy and peace and fulfillment and a life worth living? Here's my conclusion. Let me summarize it for you in two sentences. Fear God, keep his commandments. That's it. Fear God, keep his commandments. It really is that simple. Well, friends, if Solomon knows what he's talking about, and I think that he does because he is the wisest man to ever live, and those two things really are the key to a life worth living, then I think it would behoove us to look into those things a little bit more and learn what they mean. Would you agree with that? Doesn't matter if you do. That's what I'm going to do anyway. All right? (laughs) So let's do that. Let's start with this first command to fear God. What exactly does that mean? Does that mean that we're to be afraid of God? as we might be afraid of an abusive father or we might be afraid of a cruel dictator? No, that's not it at all. Here's a a good definition that I found. I like this. This isn't the only definition, but I think it's a good one. Fear is reverential awe that produces loving and humble submission to a holy God. To put it another way, fear of God is an understanding that he is unfathomably big and we are microscopically small. That he is creator and we are creation. That he is omnipotent and all-powerful and there is absolutely nothing that he cannot do and we are helpless. There is nothing we can do outside of his grace. Fear of God is also an understanding that he is holy and we are not. It is an understanding that he has the power and the authority to destroy us for our sin and for our rebellion against him and that he would be perfectly justified in doing so. And yet it means loving him as a father. Because despite our sin, he is kind and gracious and merciful toward us. And is satisfied in us through the blood of Jesus Christ. What else does the Bible say about fearing God? Actually, a whole lot. A whole lot. But let me just give you a few examples. Psalm 33. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Psalm 103 says that the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. 
Proverbs 1 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In Revelation 19, a great voice is heard in the heavens saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and those who fear him, both small and great. One gets the picture very quickly that this idea of fearing God is a very important concept in Scripture and thus must be very important to us. Let me ask you this morning, do you fear God? Do you fear him in the biblical sense of that term? Do you have that reverential awe of him? Do you have that profound respect for him and for his holiness? Are you humbly submitting to him? Because here's the ultimate test of whether or not we fear God. If we truly fear God, we understand that we are a sinner under his righteous judgment. And that the only way to escape his holy wrath is to repent of our sin and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. If you genuinely fear God, you will submit to the lordship of Jesus. You will be a Christ follower. Conversely, to reject his offer of salvation, to continue in your rebellion, is to essentially say to God, whether we think of it in these terms or not, we are saying to God, I do not submit to your lordship. I will be my own God. I do not fear you. And oh, that's a horrifying place to be when you one day stand before God in judgment, as we all will. I pray that all of us here this morning fear God and that we have submitted to his lordship over us by repenting of our sin and by trusting in Jesus. And if you've not done that, if you have any questions about what that means to submit to Jesus Christ and become a follower of his, then please see me before you leave here today. I'd love nothing more than to talk with you about that and to pray with you. Well, let's look at the second statement that Solomon makes. If fearing God represents our inward posture toward him, the posture of our heart, then keeping his commandments is the outward evidence of that. In other words, keeping the commandments of God is the natural outworking of fearing God. The latter will always produce the former. In other words, if we truly fear God, we will obey him. We will keep his commandments. We find this principle repeatedly in the scriptures. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not what I say? The implication there is that if Jesus is truly our Lord, we will obey him. In John chapter 14, Jesus says, very simply, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And in 1 John 5, 3, it says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. You get the point. There is no genuine fear of God in our heart if we are not outwardly striving to keep his commandments. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that good works save you, but I am saying if you have truly been saved, 
If there is a genuine fear of God inside of you, that it will be manifested and evidenced by your good works, by a life of obedience, by a life of holiness. The Bible also refers to this as knowing a tree by its fruit. An apple tree produces apples. An orange tree produces oranges. Christian trees produce fruit of the Spirit. And I would encourage you, look at the fruit of your life today. Examine it. What kind of fruit is it? Are you living for the Lord? Are you obeying Jesus in your daily life? If you're not, don't fool yourself into thinking that you truly fear God. Because if you're living your own way, your actions say that you don't. And actions always speak louder than words. So this is it for Solomon. These two things are what life is all about. Wisest man to ever live, let's listen to him. These two things, fear God, keep his commandments. And really, if you do those two things, everything else is just gravy. Whatever else you do with your life, if you do those two things, your life will be meaningful. You will realize the purpose for which God made you. That doesn't mean your life will be perfect by any means, but you will have joy and you will have peace and you will have fulfillment. That's what Solomon means at the end of verse 13 when he says this, these two things, this is man's all. This is what we were made for. This is our purpose. Everything else is vanity. I would ask you this morning, how about you? Are you fulfilling God's purpose for your life? Ultimately, there is only one way to do that, and that is by surrendering your life to Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Well, finally, in verse 14, Solomon wraps up this entire book with a word of solemn warning. This is what he chooses to leave us with. So we know this is very important. Let's read it together. Verse 14. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. You know, I think the greatest folly of man is to think that there will be no recompense for sin. As we live our life under the sun, as Solomon likes to say, we must always remember that we will one day give an account for our actions. There is a God who knows all, who sees all, and who hears all, even those things done under the cloak of secrecy. Luke chapter 12 says that there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, and that there is nothing hidden that will not be known. 2 Corinthians 5 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Judgment is coming. And we understand that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Nevertheless, we will be held accountable for what we did or did not do with the opportunities that the Lord gave us. 
King Solomon would tell us that this knowledge of a coming judgment should motivate us to live our life for the glory of God. I hope that we're doing that today. I hope that we're living in that way, with that in mind. I hope and I pray that this series has reminded us and instilled in us that so many of the things that we pursue in this life, in the end, are vanity. They just don't matter in the grand scheme of eternity. We read a poem very early in this series, and what it said is this. One life to live, twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. That's the truth. Are you living for him? You know, King Solomon talks a lot in this book about the vanity of life under the sun. S-U-N. And that's all true. But on the flip side of that, there is great joy. And there is great contentment when you live life under the sun. S-O-N. Jesus Christ. So here's the deal. If after reading the book of Ecclesiastes, you're like, I hope I'm never like him. That guy is discouraged and depressed and dark. Listen, if you don't want to end up bitter and jaded like Solomon at the end of his life, then don't do what Solomon did. Don't chase after things that don't matter. Don't make your life about the pursuit of pleasure. Make your life about the pursuit of Jesus. Knowing him. And making him known. And to the extent that you do that, you will never, ever regret it. I want to close this morning by reading a psalm to you. And this is just something the Lord put on my heart as I was in my study this morning. And it's Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Do you not want to be bitter and jaded? Do you want to be like that tree? that bears fruit, that is green, that's by the river even in its old age, live your life for Jesus. That's all that matters in the end. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this book of Ecclesiastes. Thank you, Lord, that through your Holy Spirit, you inspired your servant Solomon to write this book. Thank you for the challenges it has given us. And Father, I pray as we go forward from here that you would help us truly not to live our life for those things that in the end only amount to vanity, but help us to live our life for you. Because we know that in that we will be fulfilled and we will fulfill the purpose for which you made us, which is to bring you glory. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.